Hello, little masters, and welcome to the Prancing Pony Podcast. Westu Hall, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, the Aragorn to my AMR, Alan Sisto. Welcome to episode 10 of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where we answer in detail a question from a listener about how death is the gift of the one to men. It's going to be an in-depth discussion that brings in a lot of extra material. We're going to be referencing the letters, history of Middle-earth, and of course the primary text where we can. Yeah, and there's really a lot of ideas there. Some of them Tolkien was developing and reconsidering really right up into his death. Mm -hmm. But what we hope to do today is help you sort through all the information that's out there and hopefully find the corn among the chaff, to borrow a phrase from one of the works (laughs) we'll be talking about tonight. Indeed. Well, before we get there, why don't we go ahead and take a look at Barlaman's bag and see if we have any questions or feedback we can answer. Yeah, we can start right here, actually. Uh, A listener with the mysterious name of AMC in Holly, Pennsylvania, uh, made a comment on Facebook after our last episode. She said, I really enjoy your humor. The Valar mockery is hilarious, but just be aware of their wrath. <laughs> N- noted. Um, and, and we watch out for it all the time. Um, she goes on to say, I love the books for the genius world that Tolkien created, but I do like the movies as well. I like them as a movie adaptation, and an adaptation is never going to completely satisfy a book purist. You can probably guess where she's going with this. I Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're being labeled as beer, book purists, Sean. We is are, that an insult? Eh, depends. I, I guess it depends on the person. For a book purist, it's probably a compliment. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Uh, I, she says, I know that the Tyrael, excuse me, I know that the Tauriel Keeley romance oh. in The Hobbit is not Tolkien's thought, and that Tauriel and Keeley wouldn't be compatible. But it is just a cinematic cinematographic ruse to get more viewers in. Yes, I'm a sap and I fell victim to it. Shame on me. <laughs> well, you're right, AMC. Shame on you. No, just <laughs> oh, I was going to say, first of all, no shame. No, there's no we shame. Don't, we don't judge here at the Prancing no. Pony Podcast. No. Well, we might Every, judge Toriel and Keeley, but we don't judge those who love We don't them. judge the viewers, right? Exactly. Everyone, everyone who loves the stories are welcome. Uh, AMC is right. There really are a lot of mean-spirited things out there oh, yeah. uh, about Keeley and Tauriel. And yeah. you know, as much as uh, both you and I don't like the subplot. Uh, I, no. I certainly don't condone anything like that that insults. No, you know, no, no. I agree with concept. you. It's... And in fact, we've actually done a pretty good job. We've gone, we went almost nine episodes without actually mentioning <laughs> that. That is true. We really <laughs> did go a long way. And, and considering and I, how often that's come up, that's, that's yeah. really pretty impressive. Yeah. But it just kind of slipped out. Uh, so it may have <laughs> Well, if you that. hadn't, I would have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, in, in all fairness, I, I want to make sure, AMC, that, that you and our other listeners understand, you know, we do, and I know we've said this before and we keep saying it, but we keep having to say it because it's not always evident. We do love the movies. Now, we love, I think, the Lord of the Rings movies a little more than the Hobbit films. I think that's fair to say. Um, if, if if on a scale of one to 10, a book, a book purist at a 10 would never even see the movies, let alone own them. Uh, and, and one is somebody who's never read the books, but loves the movies. Cause yo Legolas, man, you know, um, <laughs> we're probably around a seven or eight, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I would think I'm probably a seven or eight. Yeah, That's what exactly I'm thinking. I mean, so. I will always love the books more, but I enjoy the movies greatly. And, uh, you know, I waited until midnight for every one of them. I went to the Oscar parties for every one of them. Uh, and you know, I, I had an absolute blast. So why would I dislike the films? But with that said, of course, the Keely Tarrell thing is probably the one pet peeve that well, just really yeah. stabs me. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, you know, without spending too much time belaboring it, just sort of in, in my defense, since I'm the one who brought it up, I think mm-hmm. part of what I think 
um, the Killian Tauriel romance uh, does that just incites such passionate reactions from people That's is um, it, because uh, we, we see Aragorn and Arwen in Lord of the Rings and in the mm -hmm. movies. Uh, what's not always clear is that there are only three times in the history of Middle Earth that an elf and a, a man uh, fell in love and got mm -hmm. married. Um, and they're all three really big deals. Huge, huge deals. World-changing, history-changing events. Absolutely. And, and we talked, uh, we're actually going to talk in, in this episode about the, the fact that elves and men are actually very similar. Uh, Tolkien mm -hmm. even considered them technically the same biological race yeah. um, with some very significant differences. So extrapolate from that, now you've got an elf and a dwarf. That should be a really big deal, yeah. If it's going to happen, and and I just kind of felt like by by sort of putting it in there, kind of in a cavalier fashion, um, I felt like it just sort of diminished some of. Uh, well, it certainly diminished Aragorn and Arwen for me, and yeah, uh, yeah I think really that was did. part of my reaction to it. Yeah, well, so, I think it even but no diminished. Judgment, yeah, know? no, exactly. No, no, and there are people who are going to love that, and and boy, I'm telling you, I don't know that there's any discussion. There are two topics that will always inspire a whole lot of comments on the comment boards and it's the Keely yeah. Toriel and it's the, Oh, let's make a movie about the Silmarillion because my goodness, you'll get <laughs> yeah. the, the book yeah. purists and we're amongst them. Yep. will will often say, please, Oh God, please no. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then others will be like, Oh man, why not? That'd be so awesome. So let's just not go there. <laughs> yep. Let's leave it there. Uh, but we do respect all opinions, even those that are wrong. <clears throat> I mean, those that disagree oh, with us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, it's oh, true. Goodness. And thank you, AMC, for uh, yes. For, I, if we were going to receive feedback on my Keeley and Tauriel comments, I'm glad it was from you, AMC. Absolutely, very, very nice about it. Thank yes, you. Yes, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> I'm, I hope you understand. We do still love the movies. And in fairness, I even have to say I like the character of Tauriel, even though she wasn't a a Tolkien character. I, I liked her presence. I liked that we had a, a female character that was strong. Mm -hmm. I just it was just the the Keeley love subplot part that really threw me. So yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. Well, I think we also had, do you have a question from Tanya about um, the windows yes. on the void? Yes, I do. Our old friend Tanya, uh, she sent us a couple of questions on Valaquenta that I, I would like to get through um, as we can. Sure. Uh, for today, I want to focus on one that's a, a Nienna related question. Uh, Tanya brings up the fact that Tolkien says that uh, of Nienna, he says that the windows of her house look outward from the walls of the world. What does that really mean? Is mm. Nienna looking out into the void or out into Ea, and why? Uh, she says, I sense there could be a discrepancy here between this text and the ending of Quintus Silmarillion, where it's definitely the void beyond the walls of the world. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, any, any, I mean, I have some thoughts on this one. I don't, I don't know uh, how well, you feel about it. You know, I mean... I feel like outward from the walls of the world. Well, there's definitely some speculation that's going to be. The one thing I notice is when I see that her windows look out from the walls of the world, the world is not capitalized. Now, when the world is capitalized in that chapter and in um, uh, the Ainulindale as well, it's typically referring to Ea. To Ea, right? To, to all of creation. creation. Right. However, in this case, it's not capitalized, so it, it leads me to think that there's a possibility that that it's looking out only into. Um, to into the emptiness Aya. of of the um, of the space surrounding Arda into Ea, as opposed to looking beyond Ea out into the void. As opposed, to, exactly. As opposed to looking out beyond all of creation, um, only because of the lack of capitalization of the word "world." 
Now, what the reference at the end of the Quintus Silmarillion? You're going to have to help me out with that one. And, and do you have that reference? Uh, there in terms of like is. A page number? Oh, let's see here. Um, there is a reference to um, the walls of the world. Um, so spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's true. a reference to um, this whole episode door- is filled with those, though. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a reference to the door of night beyond the walls of the world into the timeless void. Can you can you point that to me so I can make sure I got it in context? Uh, page two fifty four. My apologies. Oh, okay. No, it's okay. Not going to say what else is going on in that no, chapter. No, of course or, not. Or in course that passage. We but, don't want to talk but, yeah, about it's, that. It's just that reference of uh, the walls of the beyond the walls of the world is the timeless void, and I think that's what Tanya was speaking of. Is that uh, void is definitely what's, what's okay. Beyond. Well, here we, though, we have the walls of the world is capitalized. Mm-hmm. So I almost have to think that we're talking about two different walls. I mean, I, maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into it. I, that's certainly entirely possible. But when we look at in the Valaquinta and we look at Niana's uh, discussion about the windows of her house, uh, it's the last paragraph on page 28. Uh, the windows of her house look outward from the walls of the world and neither walls nor world are capitalized. Mm. But here at the end of uh, the last chapter of the Quintus Silmarillion, the walls of the world uh, are capitalized. So I don't know. Um, We can go one of two ways. We can say, no, I think they only look out on, you know, uh, outside of Arda. That would certainly be in a physical sense. That would make more sense. Um, Because how could you have the edge of all of creation be right next to the edge of the physical (laughs) Uh, Earth next to Arda. Well, right, especially when you think of you know Arda floating in Ea. Right. Um, I mean, I guess if you're picturing a circle within a circle, and the circle mm-hmm. touches at the edge of the outer circle. So well, we know like that a, there's Achaia, the the encircling sea around sea. Arda. So that's true too. So it's not right on the edge. It could also I, you know, be it could also be metaphorical in the sense that, and, and this is a bad analogy, but bear with me. If her windows look into the into the past the walls of the world, they may simply be. Um, almost like a, a monitoring device, like a, that's again, bad analogy, but like a closed circuit TV <laughs> where she could <laughs> see beyond creation, see beyond into the actual so, void. So, uh, so Nienda's nighttime security. <laughs> Check her off the list. We've made fun of Picture you're some really ill-fitting unironed uniform <laughs> sitting in a booth by the edge yeah. of the walls of the world. Yeah. Yeah, uh, crying, of course. <laughs> of course, right. probably because she has such a she's, crappy she's job. She's working the graveyard. She's working the graveyard. <laughs> she too. is. No, I. I, I think bad you're analogies right. lead to bad jokes, folks. Well, um, I think that was my thought on it too. I mean, I don't the cosmography. You know, if you look at like you said, circle within a circle, kind of imagining the map of the universe. It, it's hard to work it out in a yeah. way that makes physical sense. Yeah, three dimensional space that, that doesn't work. Yeah, but, but I, I think, think metaphorically metaphor, it does. I think the metaphor is right because as we will talk about in this episode today, uh, there's, there's constant references to hope beyond the circles of the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like that's what this is in reference to. Uh, We talked about the hope in grief that Nienna tends to represent. And I kind of feel like that's why she's looking beyond, but. Ooh, well, yeah, she would be looking if she is looking beyond uh, AA and into the void and into uh, where, where Iluvatar dwells, uh, the timeless halls. Right. Then um, then, yeah, that would certainly fit with her her motif of hope. So mm-hmm. I would probably go that route. I mean, I don't I, I, being the grammarian that I am, the lack of capital letters really <laughs> did throw me. 
Uh, but I think I it's, think the it, metaphor that does make fits. it tough. Tolkien was so good at it, uh, and Christopher Tolkien even was so good at editing with such attention to detail. So yeah, that does make it tough. But um, I don't know. Uh, maybe somebody else has an idea, uh, or maybe. maybe Tanya has another idea that. Uh, well, that I know like Tanya's probably read. You know, she's read at least as much of the histories of Middle Earth as as we have, and is probably very sure. familiar with the Book of Lost Tales, the early drafts of the Silmarillion, and it's possible that those might shed some light. I haven't looked at them recently, but maybe. Uh, you know, in, a, in an attempt to answer this, I'll look at those. Yeah. Um, well, but well, thank you, Tanya, for tried. that one. And, yeah. Uh, we'd <laughs> love a, to hear your further a good thoughts. good stumper. Uh, but we, we also want to bring up one last uh, question. We actually touched on it before. Uh, so I want to repeat the question that we brought up in episode eight. This came in from Allison in Haverhill, Massachusetts. You spoke wisely on topics obviously close to Tolkien's heart and mind. I'd like insight into his difficult concept of death as a gift to mankind. He knew better than most that death is an enemy. So I'm hoping you can shed some light here. Mm -hmm. Important question, right, Sean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason we're devoting this entire episode to it. Um, if I if I may, actually, I think Tolkien really summed it up be uh, better than I could mm -hmm. uh, himself in letter 186, if you don't mind me meeting, reading from that one no, right I now. No, I don't mind at all. Let's pull that up. So, uh, so letter 186, Tolkien uh, is writing about the, you know, the, the theme of the story, uh, primarily Lord of the Rings, but the whole Middle-earth story. And he says, the real theme for me is about something much more permanent and difficult, death and immortality, the mystery of the love of the world in the hearts of a race doomed to leave and seemingly lose it, the anguish in the hearts of a race doomed not to leave it until its whole evil aroused story is complete. Hmm. And that really uh, is the theme that, and that, I mean, yeah, in his own words, that's the theme. And, um, if we want to parse that out, I mean, the as we'll see clearly, the race doomed to leave and seemingly lose the world is uh, is men, of course, right, and right. the elves uh, we will see are doomed to stay until the Earth story is complete. Hmm. And, uh, and I think that's that's really kind of what this what this boils down to um, is that each race sort of uh, has their own has their own fate, mm -hmm. and each fate is, I suppose, uh, you know, a gift in a way. Um, but um, we're really here primarily to talk about the gift of men, or the gift True. to men, and, and which is death, to leave the earth, and why that is a gift. Well, and we should. But before we go much further, because this is going to involve so much, I think we need to probably put up a couple of disclaimers. Probably so, yeah. So we drew straws. I, I got the, the easy one, didn't I? <laughs> you did. So, uh, so first disclaimer, big fat spoiler alert, uh, huge fat. Yeah. I mean, just massive. Yeah. Nothing but is, spoilers. Is, yeah. Um, this episode will contain spoilers for the later events of the Silmarillion. Uh, we will try not to spoil things too much. I don't but, know that we will. I mean, really it's impossible. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, we're not going to go out of our way to ruin elements. Exactly, of the story, right. I, I guess that's what I mean. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just to adequately answer this question. We yeah. really need to talk about uh, specific examples yep. of what happens to elves and men after they die. And we have to talk about specific, uh, references. And, and some of these are going to be pretty significant yeah. events in yeah, the history of middle earth. Yeah. Um, so that means mentioning some characters who we haven't talked about yet. And that means mentioning and talking about them die <laughs> and talking about them dying. That is a spoiler. Um, yes. I would say that, you know, remember we, we joked about the, the spoiler about the Silmarils in, uh, <laughs> in the earlier chapter, yeah. Tolkien himself, the, the way the Silmarillion is written, uh, yeah. there are references to later events True. all throughout it. Um, the joy of reading the book is not 
how it ends, but how it gets there. And Very so, um, you know, uh, still spoiler alert for, you know, yeah, the ultimate spoiler sorry. alert. If you're but, a first time uh, listener, this may be an episode that you it, want to come back not. to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because first of all, a lot of it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. The context well, isn't true. there for you. Um, it's interesting. And, if, you know, by all means, if you if you're not looking at this as, you know, ooh, a story that I'm going to see unfold, but as, you know, a bit of history, uh, then go ahead and listen, because you're going to have some context to put this in later. Uh, yeah, but, that's but, good advice. But, you know, either way, it's fine with us, but just know that it's there. Um, I drew the harder straw on this one. Um, you did. There is a, a, another thing we want to talk about in terms of um, kind of a disclaimer. I know we've touched on a lot of theological points before, and it's because we've talked about things like the creation of the universe, <laughs> kind of hard to avoid uh, theological content in that uh, discussion of cos- cosmogony. But um, this one, because we're talking about life and death and the afterlife, uh, will by necessity also bring up a lot of uh, theological content and a discussion of uh, Tolkien's worldview. So uh, just understand that we're not here to push Christianity or to push uh, Tolkien's Catholicism. Uh, we are here to discuss the piece, and that includes uh, those elements, because that's part of the story, and it's part of why it was written that way. So again, you know, we ask that you uh, uh, refrain from you know, seeing us as proselytizing, uh, and Sean doesn't even share my worldview on this, so right, he's certainly right. not proselytizing to something he doesn't yeah. believe. Um, and and I, of course, understand wholeheartedly that not everybody buys into this, uh, you know, as I have. So um, just well, and know, I think it's important to note that, that. And and I think it's important, you know, and thank you for that, Alan. I, but I, and I think it's also important to note that Tolkien was not attempting to proselytize. No, not at all. And, he and left that to Lewis, as I've said before. <laughs> right, right. And uh, we are merely representing the fact that. Um, you know, as a as a Catholic, as a Christian, Tolkien did have a specific worldview that did uh, come into his stories because of his attempt to represent a universal truth. But it was mm-hmm. not an attempt to proselytize or convert no. anyone or anything like that. So, um, you know, again, if if that kind of thing concerns yeah. you and you're listening, well, this might not be the episode for you. You might want to save it for another time. But um, you know, listen with an open mind. And, exactly. Um, That's what and remember. Ask. Yeah, and remember that we're we're coming at this from different places, and so we're hoping to have an interesting discussion about exactly. it. Exactly. And then one last thing. This is less of a disclaimer and more of a warning. Uh, because <laughs> this doesn't, you know, typically, just so you can a little bit of behind the scenes, our typical podcast episode, we're, we've got a couple of things open. We've got maybe an outline, and we have maybe, um, uh, you know, the copy of The Silmarillion in front of us. And that's it. And that feels overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but because this is going to range over a whole number of books, uh, most both Sean and I each have like four or five, six books open on our desks. So there's probably going to be some moments where we're you know, maybe off mic and looking for something over here. And you're going to hear some page flipping and you're going to hear me, you know, kind of humming and hawing. Uh, it's going we'll to be a bit more of the men behind the curtain. Today. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> just be patient with us. Uh, we're not going to edit that stuff out. This isn't about, you know, making us sound good. This is about finding answers and really exploring the text. So uh, you're going to be doing that with us uh, even as we flip pages. So just be forewarned. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. Well, Sean, why don't you go ahead and get us started on the uh, discussion itself? Okay, let's do that. So we are talking again about the concept of death as a gift to men. And I think it's important. I think we need to start with the elves, actually. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because uh, in the Silmarillion, it is the elves. We see that it is the elves who describe death as the gift to men. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And and that's right there in chapter one. It's also even in the tale of Aragorn and Arwen, which we've talked about uh, a few episodes back. Um, so I think what we want to do is we start by uh, uh, what happens to elves after they die, and then we'll start talking about what happens to men after they die. Well, yeah, and, it, it and helps to give context for what happens right, to men that we see right. that it's different from what happens to elves. And it's interesting that we're using elves as the control group and men as the <laughs> as the stranger. <laughs> that's true. Uh, that is weird, but. Uh, the first thing I think we need to talk about with the elves is this word immortal that yeah. we throw around a lot when we talk about the elves. Um, you keep on using that word. I do not think I, it means what you think it means. <laughs> That's the wrong fantasy franchise. <laughs> oh, man. I threw you, didn't uh, I? Sorry ne- about that. Never, never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to be here all night, folks. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this word immortal, it really, it doesn't really mean immortal. Um, in fact, in letter 208, Mm -hmm. uh, Tolkien actually describes this and I'm going to be the first one to flip through pages here. Um, Tolkien actually describes this as, um, uh, I said, or meant to say that the message was the hideous peril of confusing true immortality with limitless serial longevity. Limitless serial longevity. That is an interesting way of putting it. That is an interesting phrase. Yeah. Uh, Freedom from time and clinging to time, which will foreshadow what we'll talk about later. But Mm -hmm. yeah, limitless serial longevity. It's it's not that the elves never die. Uh, It is the it is that they they just live for a very, very, very long time um, without limits within the space of Arda. one of the the other way that he puts this is if you look at the the peoples of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, this is on page three eighty of the peoples of Middle Earth. If you've got that one handy, um, he says not to die within the unknown limits decreed by the One, which at the most could be until the end of the life of the Earth as a habitable realm. So what we take from that is that the elves live as long as Arda lives. Yes, they're bound to Arda, and they will not truly die they will not truly be annihilated until arda dies well and we don't even know what happens then whether they're and, well, annihilated that, or something true. else happens and we don't know that's true and, and uh, yeah and neither do they. they they don't know what happens beyond that although no. there are some interesting theories that uh, hopefully we'll get into today oh in the in the author bath. you know actually before we go any further i just wanted to throw something out that's in that letter that's why i wanted to pull it up now that <laughs> actually addresses allison's question almost directly Right before the portion you quoted, so again, this is letter 208 if you have uh, the letters, he's again talking to somebody about the message, and he realizes, he says this, though it is only in reading the work myself with criticisms in mind that I become aware of the dominance of the theme of death, but certainly death is not an enemy. Now, that is a unique thing for a Christian to say, but what he's saying, of course, is in this text, in this story, death is not an enemy. So we're going to get to the idea of it being distinct from the way we view death, which is as an enemy, uh, as we get back into the section of men. But I thought that was interesting because it really actually uses the words yeah. that Allison used in her death question about yeah. Tolkien would have known, you know, that death is an enemy. And here he's saying, death is not an enemy not. in my story at the least. Uh, and then he goes on to say exactly what you said about uh, the the line about limitless serial longevity. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's a good, just, that's yeah, a good catch. Yeah. I just happened to skim, skim that as you were reading, but yeah. Um, yeah. So go ahead. We were we were then talking about um, the length well, of the life of Arda being the length of the life of the elves, and, and that then um, that ultimately is the limit of the life of elves. Mm-hmm. And and though we do see references to elves dying, 
uh, quote unquote. I'm making air quotes. Nobody can see me making air quotes. <laughs> There's a drawback um, to not having video, but trust me, the yeah, benefits right. of not having video are significantly are greater. so so much greater. Yeah, um, <laughs> when Alan and I are, are your hosts. Um, so uh, so what do we mean when we do say the elves die? Well, they we we know of course that they do not die of old age or sickness. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the most basic things that pretty much everybody who's any bit familiar with the works knows. Mm -hmm. um, and that's can, the immortality part. That's and the and part that's the immortality yeah. part. Yeah. But they can be slain. And we mm -hmm. see this many times. Um, oh, how dear. Oh, how dear. Why did you have to die? <laughs> oh, poor how dear. Uh, and unfortunately, the Silmarillion is just just <laughs> littered with, with dead bodies elves. of elves. Litter, littered with dead elf bodies. You can't turn a page without an elf dying. It's <laughs> just true. step all over. Stepping it's true. In elf it's blood true. everywhere. Yeah, uh, lots of slayings, and uh, there are a couple of rare cases where they uh, there's well, at least one, one yeah. who just chooses not to go on living. Um, but but that's it. It's basically they can be killed is essentially it. Yeah. Um, but even when they're killed, they don't die in the way that we think of it. Um, no. Basically, basically all that happens when an elf dies is uh, the spirit gets separated from the body. And I want to I want to use the Quenya terms going forward yes, for this. I agree uh, because they're beautiful words. They are beautiful uh, words, and they mean something just slightly ever so different from what we little, think of. That is true. They do mean something a little bit different. Um, so the spirit is called Fea, or and the plural is Fear, mm -hmm. um, whereas the body is called Hroa, and the plural is Hroar. So that's Fear, not Fear. It looks like Fear, but with the, like, the dot dot over the e. Right. For those of you who are looking at it in words, it's, it's Fayar. Right. Uh, so the Fea, and of course we might recognize that prefix from a particular name of a famous elf. Mm -hmm. We might Feanor. Feanor, the spirit, the spirit, of, of, the spirit fire. of fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or also the Feon Turi, the brothers, the, the, uh, the brothers, masters of spirits, the, yeah. uh, Irmo and Namo. Yeah. yeah. So, um, there, there are some subtle differences, as you said, between like Fea and spirit and Proa and body. And I, I don't have that information in front of me. Do you have that? I'll, that work, I'll work on pulling it up while you're kind of going into the definition of those okay. things. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember being fascinated by the fact that it was slightly different, but uh, I can't recall exactly what the difference was. But so uh, what happens when an elf uh, dies is that the, the Hroa, which we can call the body or Tolkien frequently uses the term house. Uh, the Hroa is sort of the house of the Fea and the Hroa dies mm -hmm. and the Fea goes to the halls of Mandos, uh, which we've talked about, of course. Um, the Fea goes to the halls, and there it waits. And after a, an appropriate waiting time, it can be rehoused um, into a new Hroa. The waiting time is based on judgment. There, there definitely seems to be a bit of a moral, uh, a moral component to okay. that waiting time. Uh, there is one extreme case of uh, an elf who did some very bad things who is never naughty, seen. Naughty, naughty, naughty. <laughs> and he is never seen in Middle-earth again. Um, and so, you know, his Fea is never rehoused in Ahroa. But generally speaking, it seems that most of the elves, Fear do end up getting rehoused at some point. And so they mm -hmm. do end up um, returning to a body. Yeah. Uh, we get the idea that it's, a recreation of the deceased body. Exactly. It's not like they're reincarnated into children, right. you know, right. and, and born into a, a, an infant and hopefully maybe someday might develop the memories of their old, right. their old Fea. Right. I think, I think Tolkien, well, not to confuse things, but I think Tolkien toyed with that idea at one point, but, uh, well, yeah, oh. <laughs> but let's avoid the man, 17 that, different that, versions that, that yeah, preceded right, exactly. it. Huh? 
Right. So somebody might write in like, well, he did say yes, he yes. did. But but where he ultimately landed was that it was a recreation of the deceased. Body. Exactly. Where there and are distinctions, we're going with the last distinction. The you know, yeah. if he wrote something in 37 and then something in 42 and then something in 56, we're going with what he said in 56 if it overrides right. the others. Um, right. In fact, I should say that one of the reasons why we feel pretty sound in resting some of our uh, conclusions on the Athrobath is it is one of his latest full writings. Um, right. And it was intended to be, you know, a full piece. This was a, a polished work. Um, whereas opposed to, you know, the book of lost tales were just essentially sketches uh, as he began to rough, rough drafts of the silver. Very rough. Yeah. Very, early rough very rough sketches. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, I just wanted to kind of strengthen up our source there. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't yeah, no, no problem. That's, that's a good one. Um, and I think it's important that we we see that the Thea is restored with all of its memories intact. Yeah. So it's it's just a continuation of the life uh, that you know that that the Thea lived. Um, and again, that's what separates it from you know what we might consider as reincarnation into a new body, a new identity, if you will. Um, so this isn't like Shirley MacLaine reincarnation. This is. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that Tolkien actually does frequently use the word incarnate. Uh, to refer to mm-hmm. the um, the Fea being housed in a Hroa. Um in the literal sense, to, in a literal to, sense, to be made into flesh, yeah. made into flesh. But I don't think I don't think he ever uses the word reincarnate, and I think it's because no, of the no. very specific connotation of that term. Yeah, he may have used it. I think he used it actually in a few letters, but always in that in that method in, in that way as a distinction from the you know modern concept of reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to say he never used the word, but he certainly never right, yeah. defined the Elvish process as being as, as a kind of reincarnation. reincarnation. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I like this term "rehoused" that he uses. It's yeah, a rehousing it's much more accurate of the Fea in, in a new Hroa. Yeah. Um, I would like to mention one specific example of this, and uh, and that's Glorfindel. Oh yeah, everybody's uh, favorite. Everybody's favorite elf who didn't make it into Peter Jackson. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Glorfindel is. Uh, he's sorry, spoiler alert. He's going to be killed in the Silmarillion, um, at the fall of Gondolin. He actually dies a very valiant death. Yes, he does. Um, and, uh, Tolkien and, and actually, spoiler alert, the thing that kills him does not have wings. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh, <laughs> Do without what you may. Do without what you will. <laughs> So actually, Tolkien wrote quite a bit about Glorfindel. Uh, a lot of yeah. it shows up yeah. in the Peoples of Middle Earth, which is one of the volumes of the the, the history of Middle Earth. Well, shoot, it's um, not the volume I have in front of me. I have more God's <laughs> Ring in front of me. Well, no, um, that's all right. It, it, there's a. I'll just read one little passage. Yeah, but so yeah. Basically, he says that um, when Glorfindel of Gondolin was slain, his spirit would, according to the laws established by the One, be obliged at once to return to the land of the Valar. Then he would go to Mandos and be judged. And would then remain in the halls of waiting until Manwe granted him release. Um, that pretty much sums up <laughs> what there it is. An elf. Yeah. yeah, between <laughs> between incarnations, uh, they they go to Mandos, they wait to be re- rehoused, and um, I, I, you know, again, we we this idea of Manwe granting him release—that's that, kind of what I was talking about, being sort of a moral judgment. Okay. Um, 
But he got to come back. I mean, that is to say he got to come back to Middle Earth, which is something that we don't see uh, with with other elves. That is something very rare because what we see is that most of the elves get rehoused and they stay in Amman in the Undying Lands. And we have an example Uh, of that too, right? We we do actually, yeah. In fact, uh, uh, another (laughs) Finrod, poor Finrod Felagund. Hewer of of Caves. Hewer of Caves, wisest of all the elves of Middle-earth. Yes, yes. Um, he actually dies in the Silmarillion. Uh, and then on uh, page 176 of the Silmarillion, we are told, but Finrod walks with Finarf and his father beneath the trees in Eldamar. Well, there you go. So he is in a body walking with right. his father and his father who never died. That's because right. Because he never left Valinor. That's right. So, yes, exactly. So we get okay. this idea very clear that a rehoused Fea that, that is brought back into incarnate form. Actually, most of them do stay in the Undying Lands, but it's not like they're living in a separate place apart from all the elves that didn't die. They're, they're right there with their loved ones who never died. Um, and so, it, you know, that is a kind of immortality in a way um, that they get to return to that incarnate form um, among everyone. Uh, Glorfindel is a very interesting case because it seems like there's only a few... I think he's the only one I can think of that we're. He is the only one told. I can think of. Yeah, yeah, who actually comes back that we see that, we, that is mentioned. That, that I mean, see. that doesn't mean that no others, of course, did. Of course. But yeah, and with Glorfindel, it's actually um, again in Peoples of Middle Earth. It's, it's very clear that he comes back for a particular reason. Yeah. Tolkien says uh, we may then best suppose that Glorfindel returned during the Second Age, yeah. before the shadow fell on Numenor, and while the Numenorians were welcomed by the Eldar as powerful allies. His return must have been for the purpose of strengthening Gilgalad and Elrond when the growing evil of the intentions of Sauron were at last perceived by them. Hmm. So those of you who, who haven't read through the Silmarillion before may not uh, know what's going on there, but those who, who have will. Um, he, he is going to come back at a, at a very Pretty critical juncture, yeah. very critical juncture in Middle-earth's history when, uh, when Sauron is ascendant and about to... Um, effectuate another fall of man basically yeah. um and uh, and of course we see that you know glorfindel's purpose is carried through uh in the third age because of course you yeah. know again when one of the one, the first place that most of us meet glorfindel is actually when he shows up in lord of the rings and he is actually the elf that um that gives frodo his horse asphaloth and and that's mm-hmm. the horse that takes frodo to rivendell when the nazgul are pursuing them so so you really do get the idea that Glorfindel was sent back for that specific purpose of helping with the Ring Quest. And Frodo gets to see him as he is on the other side. I remember that particular that passage right. in the book. That's because right. Because he was Frodo wearing the ring. Pierce. Oh, oh no, okay. Is was it, it the Morgul blade or was it the ring? It's the Morgul blade. I, I don't think he put on the ring, did he? Did he put on the ring? When I, no, I don't. I don't remember. He put a, no. He put on the ring on Weathertop, and that's right, right, that's right. But he, he didn't put it, put the ring pierced. on at the Ford. No, it must have been because he was so close to fading. I, I I'm certain that's what it was. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's late, folks. It's late. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, That's no, right. he, it was because it. he was fading. I, I distinctly it. remember it now. But yeah, yeah I think, yeah, uh, he was so close to being on the other side that he actually got to see Glorfindel as he appeared. So you could see this flaming, you know, lit up spirit. Right. Um, must right. have been amazing. I would have loved to have seen Glorfindel in the movie. Not that I'm upset about Arwen. Arwen was awesome. Oh, Ar- yeah. Arwen was great in that role. Again, uh, Though we may be book purists in a lot of ways, there's that's one of the changes I really didn't mind. Yeah, I didn't mind that um, at all. It needed to be and, made, and it was cool that they actually they showed 
Frodo seeing Frodo did see Arwen in sort of a yeah that same a, a more ethereal form, didn't he? Yeah, he did more of a being of light. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 paid homage to that. I think they did. They did. I I think my my whole thing, and I think I did a book week post on this, was that I I didn't like that all of a sudden it became Arwen saying, you know, come and come and take him, as opposed to Frodo himself. Frodo himself being that's so such a brave. Strong, it's such a, such a moment. moment for Frodo. Oh, yeah. one of his strongest moments, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's an yeah. aside. Sorry. Yeah. No, <laughs> we do that, don't we? We're, oh, we're going to be doing that. Though. A lot. Whole episode, probably the whole body. Yes, we will. So. But yeah, so Glorfindel's a very rare case, um, but uh, very rare case in the sense that he comes back to Middle Earth. But right. Um, but generally speaking, the, the natural state of elves is to be rehoused and to live out um, their the, the rest of Arda in uh, in an incarnate form. And uh, now, do their souls right. do their do their feyar, I should say? Do their do, does the feyar of an elf who has died? automatically return like they have no control over it or do they can they stay here if because they don't want to go back to mandos because they don't want to be you know facing judgment i'm thinking of bad elves i'm thinking of aeol for instance or uh they yes uh they they are not they're not compelled uh they are summoned mm-hmm. but they can refuse, they can refuse the, summons. the summons and i um there's something on that in I think that's in Morgoth's ring. I think so, but I don't remember where. <laughs> oh, and that one might be hard to find. But yeah, it made me think because it made me think of, um, well, of, of really like even Saruman's death. You know, his his. Yeah, it's different because he's a Maiar or a Maya, I should say. Um, <laughs> but you know, when he when he dies and his, you see this kind of ghostly thing arise from his his you know now skeletal body and then a wind from the west just dissipates it he's mm-hmm. gone that's right right but he's not annihilated his spirit would still be there just like Sauron's spirit even Sauron at the at the destruction of Barad-dûr and the the destruction of the ring Sauron's not destroyed Sauron's right. not annihilated he, he is a, a houseless spirit a lingering houseless spirit of evil that we can't to yeah that can't do yeah. anything yeah. Um, and it made me think of, okay, well, so if, if spirits can refuse that summons, then would possibly, could an elf, you know, spirit also refuse that summons? I, I suppose, and you I know, think, and the I, theory and that I, it could isn't different from the practicality that it probably never would. Uh, well, um, well, you did talk about uh, some of the bad elves. And yeah. uh, actually, I did find the reference. It's actually uh, Morgoth's Ring, page 223. Okay, that's why I couldn't find it. It wasn't uh, in the Athrobeth. Right. Right. Uh, but he does talk about it's actually some pretty creepy stuff. He talks about um, Fayar that uh, that just remain unhoused. They, they refuse the summons because they don't want to be judged, basically. Yeah. And they remain in uh, in Middle Earth as unhoused Fayar. And there's actually some pretty creepy stuff in there about, you know, how they're tied to black magic and, um, you know, ghosts and, and spirit possession and, and a just, uh, just really, really interesting. It's a, it's a very oh, yeah. talking action. trees or springs yeah. or different places that once they knew, not all of these are, yeah. are kindly. Yeah. And he, I mean, unstained. he talks about some of them wanting to take over, uh, take over Hroar. Uh, some say so, they desire bodies, mm-hmm. they're not willing to seek them lawfully. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. 
it's it's a very that's unnatural state and very interesting uh, that's that is creepy beyond creepy i that that's like yeah that's barrow downs creepy that is that's exactly the thing that came to my <laughs> mind didn't it it's the, it's the whole idea of this ooh yeah so yeah it it does happen but it's an unnatural state and i think it's and i uh, think we're going to talk about a lot of that about things being unnatural i think mm-hmm. one of the things we see and we'll start to see more of it as we continue in this conversation is that elves have a nature and men have a nature and those natures are as they are created by Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. We see a little bit about nature, about the nature of even the Valar when we talked about um, them taking bodies, you know, mm-hmm. them, them taking form, physical form, uh, and, and that they uh, would take either male or female uh, as, a, as, a, as an appearance, but that, it, that the decision to do that was a reflection of their nature, that it didn't change it. That you know, they it, it didn't make the or it didn't it, define the nature, right? It, it didn't define yeah, the nature. The nature is already of. defined. It was reflective of, not definite, not a defi- definition of, right? And and so we talk about their nature and, and and how they have, you know, either a male or female nature. And then here we've got, you know, this the nature of their fear of their is to is to return to the halls of Mandos, and the ones mm-hmm. that refuse to abide by their nature, are are evil. They're considered evil yeah, for good absolutely. reason. Yeah. yeah, and I think we we'll see you, that you, again with men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could see somebody like, a, you know, uh, when we get to Aol, we'll see, you know, he's, um, I mean, I don't know. He's not as evil as we tend to think of no. dark elves being evil, but he's definitely he a bad guy. does some pretty evil things. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So. He was the first one that came to mind because, well, he was actually the second one, but, you know, Feanor yeah. <laughs> is an exception too. Well, he's an extreme Fe- Feanor is an exceptional case. I mean, I, actually we see that, uh, well, he did return to Mandos and he stayed there. He was never rehoused. And I think yeah. that goes back to that that idea of the, the waiting time. Um, yeah, there's a judgment involved. You're right. I, I know Feanor is a very complex character and I know there's uh, there's a lot of people who love him. And and I, I don't want to, uh, to you know, uh, <laughs> to, to slander him. But uh, he did a lot of very bad things. And, uh, and I don't worry, Sean, is... I'll slander him plenty when we get to the chapter on Feanor. <laughs> No, I'm he's, sorry. I, he's one. Of, he's one of those characters, though. That uh, he is. He is an amazing he's a very, character. He's, he's a very interesting character. He's very complex. Uh, very complex. Kind of an anti-hero, but he ends up doing so many bad no, things really that I does. just can't really get behind him personally. No, you just can't. And it's and there's a reason why. We'll get yeah. to it more then. But there are so but, many parallels between him and Morgoth that it's yeah, yeah. So, but uh, so yeah. I mean that's. I think that's that's a few different examples I think mm-hmm. we've talked about. I think okay. um, the main thing to take away from it is that um, when elves, even when elves die, they do not truly leave the earth. They remain in Arda. Most of them end up back in physical form. Mm-hmm. And um, and that actually takes me to, I think, uh, Tolkien's summation of, uh, of sort of what it's like for an elf to be alive as long as Arda is. And if I can go back to one of the letters here. Yeah. Um, so this is from letter 181, and Tolkien says of the elves, this is kind of a long one, so bear with me. Okay. He says, when killed by the injury or destruction of their incarnate form, they do not escape from time, but remain in the world. That's world with a lowercase w again, by the way. Okay, that's key. Either discarnate or being reborn. This becomes a great burden as the ages lengthen, especially in a world in which there is malice and destruction. Mere change as such is not represented as evil. It is the unfolding of the story, and to refuse this is, of course, against the design of God. But the elvish weakness is in these terms naturally 
to regret the past and to become unwilling to face change, as if a man were to hate a very long book still going on and wish to settle down in a favorite chapter. Mm. Hence, they fell in a measure to Sauron's deceits. Mm -hmm. They desired some power over things as they are, which is quite distinct from art, to make their particular will to preservation effective, to arrest changes and keep things always fresh and fair. Mm. Uh, thank you for uh, that's kind of a long passage, I know. No, no, um, not at all. But I think it, it, not only does it nicely sum up basically everything we've said about what happens to elves, but I think this is really key to understand how this is going to wear on elves as the thousands of millennia of artist oh, history yeah. play out. Um, I think Tolkien actually uses the term weariness to describe elves even by the third age. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and when you think about, uh, according to Tolkien's own timeline, I think he thought we were probably now in the seventh age or something like that. I mean, they've, My goodness, sir. They, they, they're going to be on Arda a very long time. And, uh, and they're, they are going to grow weary of the, the constant changing, and this is going to lead them to temptation over time. Um, I'm immediately reminded of the three rings of power, which Tolkien actually describes later right. in that, le that letter. You know, the way uh, Galadriel and Lothlorien, especially, is sort of the best example of this. We see that um, by the power of the ring Nenya, she is able to keep Lothlorien sort of, uh, yeah, sort of frozen in time. Time bubble, right? Yeah. And uh, we know time flows differently there. We, it, it feels like something from an earlier time. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, think about what happens when the ring, the one ring comes within her grasp. And, um, you know, the, the famous scene with Frodo at the mirror of Galadriel, uh, when she faces the temptation of the one ring. Um, it's, it, it's really, I think what Tolkien is saying is basically um, life for the length of Arda is going to be tough and elves are going to be tempted to try and change things, to try and uh, do things that are beyond their nature. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way, uh, I think Eru's gift to men of uh, allowing men to die is sort of a way of sparing them that temptation. Is sort of how I, how I would sum that up. I think you're right. I mean, it introduces a whole new set of temptations, which we'll get to for men, mm, true. but it does take away that particular temptation. And it gives them, it gives them as, as we'll see with, with the conversation between Finron and Andreth, you know, fresh eyes to see, to see mm -hmm. the things that have made the elves weary uh, mm -hmm. in, in a different light. Mm -hmm. um, wow. With men, you know, there's, we've talked about this before, that they are similar enough to be able to reproduce. So they're not biologically very different. Right. But, but they are, they are definitely mortal. Uh, unlike the elves, they do die of old age. They can get sick. Mm -hmm. Um but when they die, their their fea goes beyond the circles of the world, and mm, but they don't know where, or at least the it, you know the elves say they don't know where, and the men right. certainly don't know where. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Valar don't know, or that Iluvatar doesn't know. Of course, right. Iluvatar knows. Right. Um, let's take a look. You know, I want to look at the uh, the Athrabeth. This is. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a, a writing that, uh, Tolkien did. It's a, it's a discussion between Finrod and Andreth, uh, a woman, uh, a very wise woman, um, a human and, woman, a hu yeah, a human woman, woman, as opposed to elf maiden or, you know, <laughs> very, very nice, right? Whatever yeah, you want to call her. Um, and in this, we get some very interesting takes on how men view death. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's take a look here. I'm trying to find it. 
you know, Go I've, I've got one actually that, that I love, um, just about sort of the, you know, the inevitability of death. Uh, there's just sure. a really cool passage here. It's on page 311. Okay. Uh, Andre says, be a man strong. I'm sorry. Is this Andre? I think this is Andre. Yes, it is Andre. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> be, a, be a man strong or swift or bold, be he wise or a fool, be he evil or be he in all the deeds of his days just and merciful. Let him love the world or loathe it. He must die and leave it and become carrion that men are fain to hide or to burn. Hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, thank you, Sean. I know that men die, but. <laughs> well, certainly she takes this sort of fatalistic approach. Right, right, exactly. And I, and I think that comes from, you know, there's this idea that, that Andreth puts forth in this, this um, dialogue that, um, that she actually seems to believe that death was actually not the normal condition of men. Right. And that's the passage I'm trying to find right now. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay. Well, she talks about it a couple times, but um, going back to, let's see. I'm so sorry for this. I'm not drawing a blank completely, but. Is it on 314 near the bottom? Well, that's the, that's the, the, the later one. That's the well first one but she mm, so you're looking at she talks one. about it earlier because um um okay yet among my people this is what this is andreth speaking from wise unto wise out of the darkness comes the voice saying that men are not now as they were nor as their true nature was in their beginning mm. and clearer still is this said by the wise people by the wise of the people of marak who have preserved in memory a name for him that you call Eru, though in my folk he was almost forgotten. So I learned from Adonel. They say plainly that men are not by nature short-lived, but have become so through the malice of the Lord of Darkness, who they do not name. Mm-hmm. So she's, and, and we get another clear statement of it later, I think he said on 314, um, where it's clear they think that death is something that has been imposed on them. Right. Um, and in fact, here we go on 310, uh, Finrod asks and says, but who did you this hurt? Who imposed death upon you? Melkor, it is plain that you would say, or whatever name you have for him in secret, for you speak of death and his shadow as if these were one and the same, and as if to escape from the shadow was to escape also from death. But these two are not the same, Andreth. So I deem, or death would not be found at all in this world, which he did not design, but another. Nay, Death is but the name that we give to something that he has tainted, and it sounds therefore evil, but untainted, its name would be good. Mm. And that's where I think she, she and her early man aired. And here's the passage that we were originally talking about on 314 towards the bottom, um, start, starting out with what Finrod says. To speak truly, said Finrod, I had thought that this belief of yours, that ye too were not made for death, was but a dream of your pride bred in envy of the Quindy, to equal or surpass them. Not so, you will say. Yet long ere ye came to this land, ye met other folk of the Quendi, and by some were befriended. Were ye not then already mortal? And did ye never speak with them concerning life and death? Though without any words they would soon discover your mortality, and ere long you would perceive that they did not die. Not so, I say indeed, answered Andreth. We may have been mortal when we first met elves far away, or maybe we were not. Our lore does not say, or at least none that I have learned. But already we had our lore, and needed none from the elves, 
we knew that in our beginning we had been born never to die. And by that, my Lord, we meant born to life everlasting without any shadow of any end. But I think she's making, and early men made a mistake in in thinking that, I mean, this is true, they were meant for everlasting life. They were meant for, mm-hmm. for an eternal life, but they weren't meant for an eternal life on Arda. They weren't meant mm-hmm. for an eternal right. life in the Hroa in which they are born. They are meant for an eternal life outside the circles of the world. So it's a misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh, a misunderstanding it is, by early men of, the, of, of what eternal, uh, of yeah, what everlasting life what really everlasting means. life is. Uh, everlasting life does not mean that your body keeps on going. It means that your soul keeps on going. And I think what happens is we go back to what Finrod said about how this has been tainted and it's got this evil name to it because the shadow has tainted it. That death, in fact, was a gift and was would have been looked upon as a good thing mm-hmm. because it would it would send you home, so to speak. In fact, we get that later. We'll get to a passage in the Akalabeth where men are told, your home is not here. Your home is not Arda. This is a temporary place. Your home is elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And if that be the case, then would it, wouldn't it be good to go home? So, yeah, I mean, right. that, what I'm seeing here is well, that early man made a mistake and they were they were duped into it by Melkor, I mean, by Morgoth at that point, but uh, into believing that, you know, death was this big, scary thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, they don't know, not with a certainty, what happens to them, you know, whether it's eternal life with Iluvatar, whether it's you know, annihilation. They have no mm-hmm. way of knowing with absolute certainty, but they can hope. And they can hope in in Iluvatar. You know, and what one thing I think is so um, so interesting about that is uh, Finrod doesn't really uh, he doesn't judge you know for this Not belief. It's it, it's a you know he sees it as folly and he corrects it mm-hmm. according to what he understands from having talked to the Valar themselves. But um, but he doesn't he you know he doesn't take a like a superior or a haughty uh, stance with her. Maybe a little bit at a times, just because you know, well, yeah. just because he's trying he's to her, steer her back on course, <laughs> right? But what's interesting is, you know, this is, um, you know, Andreth is, she's not, a, she's not an Easterling, <laughs> you know, she's no, not like, no. she's not from, she's one of the Adine, she's one of the elf friends, uh, you know, a, a, a pious human of Beleriand and one of the wisest, absolutely, and, one and who was loved by an elf, actually, yeah, not that's right, Rod, that's but, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Fenrod's brother. Um, Ignor? Was it Ignor? I don't remember now which one it was. Um, but but it's it's interesting that, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, this is one of the wise and uh, of the Adine. These are the good men, the good humans. And, um, and even she didn't understand uh, or couldn't wholly believe that death could be a gift. She, she believed it was an evil. Um, even though if you, if you look deep enough into some of the, the stories behind that fall, um, you see that the the three houses of the Adine were actually the ones who who left and who tried to you know who tried to improve their lot and tried to seek the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, I like what you pointed out about about Finrod's kind of you know kind responses. He says something here to her that I, I really like. Right after she's talked about that, they have a brief dialogue, and then she, he says, "In that, the Eldar would say that they err." To us, your claim for men is strange and indeed hard to accept for two reasons. So he's pointing out the, the, the flaws in her logic. You claim, if you fully understand your own words, to have had imperishable bodies, not bounded by the limits of Arda. 
and yet derived from its matter and sustained by it. And you claim also, though this you may not have perceived, to have had Hroar and Fear that were from the beginning out of harmony. Yet harmony of Hroar and Fear is, we believe, essential to the true nature unmarred of all the incarnate, uh, the children of Eru. So, yeah, this is... Uh, so there's that. So that's an. Uh, so help me help me parse that. So that's the sure. idea that the. Uh, it's not that the Faya. The Faya isn't you. It's not your identity. It's it's a combination of Roa and Faya, and that the the two are, the two are, are are meant to be together. The two are meant to be linked. The two are are linked. I mean, we we know that. Um, the idea of a of a Faya without a Roa is a repulsive thought to Finrod. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's more the elvish notion. That's true. Maybe it is. Because because they come to, I mean, because again, you know, we're talking about elves that are, that are bound to Arda, at least as far as we know. And they are, they, mm-hmm. they are always, you know, well, not always, but usually going to be rehoused into a Roa. Whereas, uh, whereas men are sort of uh, made for something more. So maybe, Maybe it's just Finrod applying, uh, you know, elvish, elvish thought, thought yeah. and elvish standard to, That's to men true. That's where true. he shouldn't. Ah, it's interesting, though. It is. Um, I mean, in any event, it, it's clear that that elves and men, uh, and I suppose probably you know dwarves too, uh, but you know the children of Iluvatar definitely uh, are different from, let's say, the Ainur, for whom you know the the physical form is just raiment. It's something that they they uh, put on and cast off at, at will, whereas for elves and men, as we know, you know, our bodies are, are something that we, we cannot separate ourselves from within this life. Interesting. Well, he does mm. go on to talk about it a little bit more, um, and, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this because there's a lot more to go, but mm-hmm. uh, if we go to 316 and we go to the bottom, he gets a, a little bit more clarity on this idea of the disharmony. Uh, he says, the shadow may have darkened your unrest, bringing swifter weariness and soon turning it to disdain. But the unrest was ever there, I believe. And if this is so, then can you not now perceive the disharmony that I spoke of? If indeed your wisdom had lore like to ours, teaching that the children are made of a union of body and mind, of Roa and Fea, or as we say in picture, the house and the indweller. For what is the death that you mourn but the severing of these two? And what is the deathlessness that you have lost but that the two should remain united forever. But what then shall we think of the union in man, of an indweller who is but a guest here in Arda? And this comes back to the concept that men are guests. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point here, that this isn't their home. So what shall we think of the union in man, of an indweller who is a, but a guest here in Arda and not here at home, with a house that is built of the matter of Arda and must therefore here remain? That's what he's talking about, about the disharmony. The disharmony is your body is made of earthly stuff, but your your fea doesn't belong here. So there is a disharmony. If you're telling me that, that you were never meant to die, then you're telling me that Iluvatar's purpose from the beginning was that you would have a spirit that doesn't that's never at rest here because this isn't your home and doesn't belong here, and a body that can never leave here. That's not much of a gift. Mm-hmm. So I think he's trying to point out that that sort of disharmony there right um that's, no that's a good point but that, well, that it, explains it yeah uh, yeah you're right it does well and that's actually probably uh you know a good segue you you know you brought up um 
you know, you brought up how this is at odds with uh, with what Iluvatar intended for for men. Mm-hmm. I think um, that is so tied up with this whole question, isn't it? You know, it really uh, is. Of whether you know, obviously, uh, Finrod's perspective was, well, yes, of course you're, of course you're made to die because you die, and Melkor could not make that so if if Eru did not. Right. If, if that wasn't Eru's plan. Yeah. Your your the intention all along was for your bodies to cease to to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Eru's plan, not Morgoth's plan, not Melkor's plan. And it's because you don't belong here. You're guests, mm-hmm. and your home is somewhere else. Fanor, or, sorry, Finrod understood that. Um, but I think the fear of death that had been cast over early man by Melkor really made it hard for for Andreth to understand that or to accept mm-hmm. that. Um, But she wasn't the only one. You can skip forward a few thousand years, as we're going to do here, and go to the Akalabeth and see Mm -hmm. that the same thought process still goes on. Um, But this, in this chapter, we're going to, or in this passage, we're going to get a little bit more about, um, about Iluvatar's purpose. So let me find that real quick. Okay, it's, um, it's on page, we're going to start on page 264 of the Silmarillion. This is in Akalabeth. This is in the story of Numenor. So at this point in the story, um, the Numenorians have been, you know, enjoying their their long life and enjoying their friendship with the elves, um, but uh, but they've started to murmur, and mm-hmm. uh, mostly against the band that forbids forbids them from from sailing uh, towards Valinor, and they say things like, "Why do the lords of the West sit there in peace unending, while we must die and go we know not whither, leaving our home and all that we have made?" Well, the first thing I think of is. You know, don't love too much the work of your own hands. Um, but mm-hmm. the Eldar die not, even those that rebelled against the lords. Um, so we get, we you know, these words come back to the Valar. Manway is grieved. Uh, so he sends messengers uh, coming back to the king. Um, and he says, the, the messenger says, the doom of the world, one alone can change who made it. So we're talking clearly about only Eru Iluvatar. We're not talking mm-hmm. about Manway or any of the other Valar. We're not talking right. about Morgoth. And were you so to voyage that escaping all deceits and snares, you came indeed to Amon, the blessed realm, little would it profit you. For it is not the land of Manway that makes its people deathless, but the deathless that dwell therein have hallowed the land. And there you would but wither and grow weary the sooner as moths in a light too strong and steadfast. Well, the king brings up Arendelle. Uh, again, spoilers. Um, <clears throat> but we'll, we'll kind of skim past that. Um, after he brings that up as a possible exception. Don't, don't, don't skip past it on my account. <laughs> okay. Right, but the, but right, the, king, no, no, yeah, the right. king said, and does not Erendil, my forefather, live, or is he not in the land of Amon? To which they answered, you know that he has a fate apart and was a judge to the firstborn who die not. Now, he could be judged that way because he was descended. He wasn't purely man. Right. And that's right, key. Yep. Um, yet this also is his doom, that he can never again return to mortal lands, whereas you and your people are not of the firstborn, but are mortal men, as Iluvatar made you. Okay, mm-hmm. As Iluvatar made you. This is key, because when we start to get out of place, we start to think that we are our own, uh, you know, our own lord, so to speak. We start to think we're entitled to other things. Yet it seems that you desire now to have the good of both kindreds, to sail to Valinor when you will, and to return when you please to your homes. That cannot be. Nor can the Valar the nor can the Valar take away the gifts of Iluvatar. Even the Valar cannot change this. 
Right. The Eldar, you say, are unpunished, and even those who rebelled do not die. Yet that is to them neither reward nor punishment, but the fulfillment of their being. It is who they are. And that's what that's what the men need to understand, that death is simply the fulfillment of their being, mm-hmm. just as living forever is the fulfillment of the being of the elves. It's how it is a, it is as Iluvatar made them. Exactly. Yeah. And that brings me to some of the letters because uh, you know where I'm going with this, but I can't find it. Hold on. <laughs> let me see if I can let me see if About I can help nature. while you're looking. Um, actually, I think I have it here. Uh, yeah, I do. Actually, it is letter two twelve. So we're going to start on page 285 of the letters. Um, <clears throat> so we're talking a little bit about uh, strictly longevity coextensive with the life of Arda given to the elves. Mortality, the short lifespan, having no relation to the life of Arda, is the given nature of men, the gift of Iluvatar. Um, okay, so this is therefore an elvish view and does not necessarily have anything to say for or against such beliefs as the Christian, that death is not part of human nature, but a punishment for sin. So that would be also in response to Allison's question. Tolkien, you know, his Christian worldview would say death is an enemy. Uh, it's not part of human nature, but a punishment for sin. That would definitely fall along the lines of, of what Andrath is saying. Mm-hmm. But he's saying that's not the case. It should be regarded as an Elvis perception of what death, not being tied to the circles of the world, should now become for men, however it arose. He says... Or he goes on to say, a divine punishment is also a divine gift, if accepted, since its object is ultimate blessing, and the supreme inventiveness of the Creator will make punishments produce a good not otherwise to be attained. To attempt by device or magic, he puts that in air quotes, (laughs) to recover longevity is thus a supreme folly and wickedness of mortals. Longevity, or counterfeit immortality, since true immortality is beyond Ea, is the chief bait of Sauron, and it leads the small to a golem and the great to a ringwraith. Hmm. To attempt by device or magic to recover longevity is thus a supreme folly and wickedness of mortals. And yet that is precisely what we see now when we come back to the Akalabeth. Mm-hmm. So we come back, and now we're on page 265. The messengers... Again, after the king is basically, the Numenorians are saying, we love the earth, we would, we would like to not lose the earth. Uh, and the messenger said, Indeed, the mind of Iluvatar concerning you is not known to the Valar, and he has not revealed all things that are to come. But this we hold to be true, that your home is not here, neither in the land of Amon, nor anywhere within the circles of the world. Now again, circles of the world, so we're talking about Ea, we're talking about the the entire created existence. Mm-hmm. So somehow, some way, your home is beyond this. Timeless halls, the void, I hopefully not the void, but the idea being it's not here in creation. So it's not just death that's the gift. It's really this this other existence, this this real mm-hmm. I mean, well, this afterlife. Yeah. Uh, you know, that is um I mean, that, that, I guess, is it the afterlife that's that's the gift of it the is. Luvatar? It is, because death gets you there. Mm-hmm. You know, they have this short life on Amon, but they don't belong there. The gift is that they get to go beyond and be with Iluvatar, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take a look more at the rest of this line. The doom of men that they should depart was at first a gift of Iluvatar. It became a grief to them only because, coming under the shadow of Morgoth, 
It seemed to them that they were surrounded by a great darkness, of which they were afraid. And some grew willful and proud and would not yield. Now by yield, we're talking about willfully surrendering your life, like we see Aragorn do in the appendices. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about that. Until life was reft from them. Now, we who bear, we, the elves, because these messengers are coming to Numenor from, from uh, Tolarasea and from Valinor. Right. We who bear the ever-mounting burden of the years do not clearly understand this. I, I get the feeling that if an elf was given the opportunity to simply lay down their life, they, some of them might be very happy to do so. A- absolutely, yeah. Um, but if that grief is returned to trouble you, as we say, then we fear that the shadow arises once more and grows again in your hearts. So then they again warn them. You know, I, I love that. I, I just want to, before you get too far, I love yeah. the fact that they, they actually, the, the elf, the elf messengers actually mentioned the ever mounting burden of the years. And yeah. that's that weariness we talked about. That is about. the weariness. Absolutely. And as you said, yeah, if they could, they would, many of, they, they would love to lay down their lives after a time. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, I, I I, I cut you off. No, we, it's okay. We, I was actually just wrapping up that little piece there. I mean, the next section is going to be when they decide to actually go, uh, go for it. Uh, hold <laughs> on. <laughs> Which let's not spoil that. Yeah. But. Well, we will, but only in a few more minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this this is this idea that um, these men are short sighted. They're looking to do something that they think will benefit them because they don't want to to lose the things they've created. They're starting to fall in love with what they built, which is empire. Uh, by this point, Numenor is incredibly powerful and influential and wealthy. Uh, and oh, it's, it's very much a, a temporal, uh, oh, you know, influence of men at this very point. Much it's so. not, it's not an artistic, uh, you know, it's not a sub creative empire. It's very much no, a political empire no. of conquering. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it started out as, as helping these mm-hmm. people, uh, right. you know, get, get out from under the shadow, but, uh, by this point in the Numenorean history, it is definitely more conquest. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but the key here is that they're going against their nature. Now, we, we, I know we're, we're kind of going back to the elves in this, and I know I'm probably throwing you a curveball. We had talked earlier about skipping discussions of Muriel because we're going to discuss her when we get to Feanor. But let's look at that briefly and realize she did the same kind of thing. She went against her nature. She did not want to go on living. Mm-hmm. She laid down and, and died. Mm-hmm. Now, that choice of hers, one could say, led to a whole string of problems. And Tolkien even says that. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> which letter is that that he says that? He, oh, I, even the text of the Silmarillion Kind of makes it clear, but yeah, you're right. There is a letter specifically. There is a letter where he specifically mentions Muriel. You know, one elf chose to die, and (laughs) all sorts of. That's where all our bad idea. Well, let me let me pull that up real quick because that is really relevant. But my as we look that up, my my thinking though is just that what she did was against her nature, and when Mm -hmm. we act against our nature, whether it's elves or men, bad things happen. Muriel 286. Oh, that's in the letter that I'm in right now. <laughs> so oh, here in, in letter 212, very convenient. Um, yes, she's, he says, In the Elvish legends, there is record of a strange case of an elf, Muriel, mother of Feanor, that tried to die, which had disastrous results, leading to the fall of the high elves. So that's um, then he goes on to talk about the elves were not subject to disease but could die. Um but this didn't lead naturally to death. They were rehabilitated and reborn and eventually recovered memory of all their past. They remained identical. But Muriel wished to abandon being 
and refused rebirth. And there's a, an asterisk and a footnote that says in a note apparently added later, it was also the elvish and uncorrupted Numenorean view that a good man would or should die voluntarily by mm-hmm. surrender with trust before being compelled, which we saw with Aragorn. Mm-hmm. This may have been the nature of unfallen man, though compulsion would not threaten him. He would desire and ask to be allowed to go on to a higher state. Um, then he goes on and he ties that into some some Catholic things. He talks about the Assumption of Mary. Uh, I'm not going to get into that because I'm not familiar with that as, as a Protestant myself. But um, uh, pre-fall, her destiny was far higher. Okay, that, that goes on a lot more into detail than I'm not going to be familiar with. And I think <laughs> it's probably not really relevant to our conversation. But um, the idea being, though, again, she was doing something that was against the nature of the elves. The elves were supposed right. to be... Um, you know, rehoused. She wished right. to abandon, abandon being. She didn't want to be anymore, and that led to massive problems. Um, and there is a uh, there there is a, I think it's in Morgoth's Ring. <clears throat> there's a a, a long uh, dialogue of the Valar as they are sort of uh, mm-hmm. deciding what to do with Muriel. Oh <laughs> yes, yes, to lay down her you're life. right. That is an excellent. I, I wish I had that handy because that's a really good conversation. Let's see if I can find. I, I don't have. Uh, there any, are folks who kind of any, you know. There were some who who advise mercy and you know an understanding right. that you know she should be able to do this, and others who were like, no, 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 this is not right. Right. Um, I don't. But I I want to say it's in Morgoth's ring. Anyway, it's it. We don't have to go down that road, but it's but yeah. it it underscores the fact that this was against her nature, and right. the, the, that's what the I was. Valar really... really didn't know what to do about it. They spent a lot of time in discussion. Yeah, uh, Manway, I believe, went to went to Eru and and asked Eru for guidance. Yeah, uh, there was. Uh, it is in Morgoth's ring. I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm on page two thirty something, and it's uh it's already happening here. But yeah, um, it's it's around, just an interesting uh, idea that you know yeah. We, and and I wasn't intending to go there and to talk about Muriel, but but realizing that the key here is about doing things that are against one's nature. Right. No, you're absolutely really right. Really does tie us back to her because mm-hmm. she's a good example of it happening on the elvish side. And we need to see some examples of it happening on the human side. And we're about to do that by, oh, going, yeah. by going back to the Akalabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're we're at the kind of the peak of their power. At this point, they're almost entirely evil now. The Numenorians, uh, our Farazan has conquered Sauron. Well, he went to go threaten Sauron and Sauron said, I surrender. Um, came back to uh, him. Air quotes. Yeah. I, I <laughs> surrender. surrender. You might want to take me with you. Cause really I wouldn't be a very good, you know, I, you don't want to leave me here. Right. <laughs> so he comes back and he, of course, uh, you know, twists our Farazan, um, and basically tells him you need to go rest, eternal life from the Valar because you deserve it. You rock. You deserve everything. Here's your participation <laughs> trophy. This is like our fair is on the millennial. Um, <laughs> oh man. Uh, definitely going to get some mail for that. I, oh boy, we are. Cause I, I bet, I'm sorry. Millennials. I apologize. I'm just a little bit older than you are. And anyway, <laughs> it's late. We're not saying all millennials no, are we're seduced not. by Sauron. <laughs> or are entitled. Um, I, I love this the the way Sarah does it though. He's so and again this is this is another example of Tolkien using words to great effect. This is Sauron's honey laden lies. 
the Valar have possessed themselves of the land where there is no death, and they lie to you concerning it, hiding it as best they may, because of their avarice, and their fear lest the kings of men should wrest from them the deathless realm and rule the world in their stead. And though, doubtless, the gift of life unending is not for all, but only for such as are worthy, being men of might and pride and great lineage, yet against all justice is it done that this gift, which is his due, should be withheld from the king of kings, our Pharazan, mightiest of the sons of earth, to whom Manway alone can be compared, if even he. But great kings do not brook denials and take what is their due. I mean, he, our first son couldn't do anything you're, but give it a try. Right, right. Well, your your Sauron voice made me want to give it a try. So. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, that's the yeah. It, well, yeah. Sauron it, the it, deceiver. Sauron the deceiver. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um. it's it's just so funny that he, you know, it's the exact opposite of the way things really are, as you said. Oh, yeah. The the elves told the Numenorians that look, it's. And we've talked about this, that mm-hmm. they're not immortal. The, the, the oh, Valar and the Eldar are not immortal because they live on the Undying Lands. The Undying Lands are the Undying Lands because the Undying there. live there. I know. Durr. And, uh, <laughs> and Sauron, but Sauron plays on that fear and, and that yeah. pride that you you were better than, you were made for something more That's than this. Right. Don't uh, Not everybody deserves it, but you deserve it, don't mm-hmm. you? You know you deserve our Farazan. Oh, yeah, man. it's... Um, and, wow. and and thus our Farazan decides to do it. So, but this is where we get about nature. I and mean, we were talking about this beforehand. When you do something against your nature, it's interesting to see how nature responds. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, this is nature under the command of, of at least Manway, if not Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. Um, now, aforetime in the Isle of Numenor, the weather were at the bottom of 276, was ever apt to the needs and liking of men. Rain in due season and ever in measure. And sunshine, now warmer, now cooler, and winds from the sea. Sounds like Orange County. I love it here. <laughs> it's just always, the weather's always right. right? That's I have to get you out here to Texas. It's why we pay the big bucks, it's, right? Yeah, it's why right. our property taxes are through the roof. What were the property taxes like in Numenor? I guess it depended on where you live. But And when the wind was in the West. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the faithful probably the, got taxed. The, oh, the faithful old. got hammered, I'm sure, at the end. Oh, you're a faithful. Well, yeah. Um, and when the wind was in the west, it seemed to many that it was filled with a fragrance, fleeting but sweet, heart-stirring, as of flowers that bloom forever in undying meads and have no names on mortal shores. Cue big heavy storm clouds. But all this was now changed. For the sky itself was darkened, and there were storms of rain and hail in those days, and violent winds. And ever and anon a great ship of the Numenorians would founder and return not to haven though such a grief had not till then befallen them since the rising of the star. And out of the west there would come at times a great cloud in the evening, shaped as it were an eagle, with pinions spread to the north and the south, and slowly it would loom up, blotting out the sunset, and then uttermost night would fall upon Numenor. And some of the eagles bore lightning beneath their wings, and thunder echoed between sea and cloud. Then men... Crew afraid. <laughs> you, you Probably think? a good thing to do. <laughs> Behold, the eagles of the lords of the west, they cried. The eagles of Manway are come upon Numenor. And some few would repent, but others hardened their hearts. And they shook their fists at heaven. <laughs> the lords of the west have plotted against us. They strike first. The next blow shall be ours. 
These words the king himself spoke, but they were devised by Sauron. But it gets worse. Mm-hmm. It's not just lightning and hail and clouds that eclipse the sun. It's now the lightnings increased and slew men upon the hills and in the fields and in the streets of the city. And a fiery bolt smote the dome of the temple and shore it asunder, and it was wreathed in flame. So, really? Uh, oh, and then the last portent came. They heated it a little. For the land shook under them. So now we have earthquakes. Now, to now top Ali it is off. getting involved, yeah. And a groaning as of thunder underground was mingled with the roaring of the sea, and smoke issued from the peak of the mental tarma. But all the more did Arpharazan press on with his armament. So this is literally Manwe, Ulmo, and Aule saying, yeah. don't this is your do last this. chance. This is don't your last this. warning. Yeah. And it, these are like biblical in scope. I mean, this yeah. is like the 10 plagues of Egypt sort of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. really pretty blatant signs. You should be getting the hint. Uh, and instead, for some folks, they just harden their hearts. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I, it, I find that interesting that not only does this appear to be you know, kind of biblical in scope and epic. Um, I guess you could say it would be a make a great movie scene. <laughs> um, cue, but Cue the let's make a Silmarillion movie. Yeah, because we've already talked about Keely and Dario. Why not talk about yeah. make a Silmarillion? Um, but, um, well, but, but he uses some more biblical language there too. Hardened their yeah. hearts. That is exactly the response of Pharaoh. Every time one of those 10 hmm. plagues came along, God would say, don't do this. You need to let these people go. And Pharaoh would say, you're right. I need to let these people go. No, I don't. Never mind. Bring them back over and over. And he would harden his heart. And I, I don't think it's an accident that Tolkien used that phrase oh, here, that they yeah, hardened sure their hearts. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought that was an interesting little thing. But, but nature, when you do something that's against your nature, bad things happen. And, so, and, and for generations you know if we if we look at if we accept the view that muriel's uh going against her nature started all the troubles for the elves mm-hmm. uh we'll see that you know our far and and the numenorean's decision to go against their nature uh, that oh, yeah. cre- that that oh. creates a a failing in the numenorean line even though uh, you know even though like elendil and aragorn's ancestors mm-hmm. the uh, were not yeah. were not part of that faction they were part of the faction called the faithful yeah um but they are still um, the only ones to escape the downfall. Too. They're the only ones to escape the downfall, and and there's still a you know a, a waning of that race that continues until Aragorn. You yeah. know, we're talking over three thousand years, something like four thousand yeah. years. A thinning of the blood, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. in the movies, they have Elrond kind of refer to that. Uh, you know that this this bloodline is is weak, mm-hmm. um, the weakness of men. You know, I was I was there, he says, and he was, of course, but. Um, yeah, yeah, we did, and that's again when we don't understand our nature, and I think that's what we see in the um, in the Athrobeth is that uh, uh, she she struggles with understanding, you know, that the nature of men is to is to die a physical death mm-hmm. in order to get beyond the circles of the world. Mm-hmm. So how is that a gift? Um, you know, we talked you talked about escape from Arda and weariness, and how it's a gift in comparison to what the elves must endure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a gift in some other context. You know, we talked about it obviously being this, this afterlife and the ability to uh, leave the circles of the world and perhaps join with the Luvatar, though they still don't know that. I mean, this is just, this is hope, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about hope and despair. If they knew that there was annihilation after death, then maybe there'd be some despair. There's hope for a reason. 
Um, the hope is not a random hope. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think, when we talked about the difference between uh, the, the Sindarin word Estel and what was the other kind of hope again? Uh, uh, Amdir, I believe Amdir. it is. Amdir. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And Amdir is the blind hope, but Estel right. is uh, That would be the hope more like, than that. like, I hope I win the lottery tomorrow, you know, as right. opposed <laughs> right. to, you know, I, I have hope in some person, you know, I have hope mm-hmm. in my my son or I have hope in my wife or I hope in my whoever. And I'm, I'm hoping in a person. Now that person may still fail me because they're flawed. But in this situation, the hope is in a different person and mm-hmm. it's the person of Eru. It's the person of Iluvatar. Right. Uh, and in that case, they're and, talking about the creator and their own creator and the creator of all that is. So they have pretty good reason to hope that mm-hmm. if the, his purpose was, if the na- if their created nature was to die, then their hope is well-founded that something better for them is, is outside the circles of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and this concept of Estel versus Amdir is really explored in the Athrobeth and, uh, it is and well uh, too. Yes. And, and Finrod actually, you know, we think of Estel as, as hope, as you said, you know, it's Aragorn's name. We talked about that a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Finrod actually translates it as trust at one point in mm. here. Uh, and he says, it is not defeated by the ways of the world for it does not come from experience but from our nature and first being. Uh, if we are indeed the Eruhin, the children of the one, then he will not suffer himself to be deprived of his own, not by any enemy, not even by ourselves. Wow. And that's on page 320 of uh, Morgoth's Ring in the author of Beth. I was just, I had not quite gotten there. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's as you said, it's, it's, a, it's a hope that will not fail. Yeah. It doesn't come from experience. It comes from our nature. So it's not, yeah, man. That's, that's an excellent line. I wish I'd caught that one. <laughs> you know, I, I, well, you remember I did the Aragorn and Arwen story. That's you, true. Uh, I, that's when I picked it up and uh, I've been, <laughs> I've been saving it. <laughs> I've been waiting <laughs> to, to read it. But uh, man, yeah, that's... so it, it's, it is different from, uh, from a regular hope. It's, as you said, it's not a, a and if you call it a blind hope or an aimless hope, but whatever word you used, it's not that. Right, right. My goodness. Well, let's see. Um, you know, I it, it also tied back. I, I'm just kind of throwing this out there because we're we're bouncing stuff around. But it also tied us back to uh, on fairy stories, didn't it? There was mm-hmm. um, a bit when he's talking about the purpose of fantasy, and one of them uh, is is uh, the the as he says here in in. Um, on fairy stories. And lastly, there is the oldest and deepest desire, the great escape, the escape from death. So, you know, we talk about that the human stories of the elves are doubtless full of the escape from deathlessness. Um, but our stories cannot be expected always to rise above our common level. They often do. Few lessons are taught more clearly in them than the burden of that kind of immortality, or rather endless serial living to which the fugitive would fly. For the fairy story, especially apt to teach such things of old and still today. So, you know, that that endless serial living reminds me of the limitless serial longevity that he ascribes mm-hmm. to the elves. Yeah, well, that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the human stories of the elves are filled with this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, there's a lot here. Uh, you know, we could keep well, going. Uh, and so, well, I mean, since you brought it back to on fairy stories, I mean, you know, it brings us right back to you catastrophe, doesn't it? It does. It really does. It brings us in in a large way, in a large way, to the um, to the epilogue, you know, in his uh, 
uh, his discussion of the uh, Evangelium. Um, uh, don't know how much I want to get into that. I know we've already been going. I'm looking at the clock and seeing we've already been <laughs> at it for an hour and a half, and I want to keep our, our listeners' sanity. Um, but certainly there's some aspects of that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no doubting, given Tolkien's belief, that this afterlife was you know, really similar to uh, the afterlife that he believed uh, would exist uh, for Christians uh, in terms of um, uh, being reunited with God and, and then serving God in some greater purpose. And in fact, we just see a little bit of that more in the Athrobeth uh, when we talk about what the men might be used for uh, afterward. We talk about the end of the world or the, the after the end of the world, uh, that men would be involved in creating a new world, that Iluvatar um, would use them to that purpose. And that's very much like the Christian concept of a new heaven and a new earth, uh, that there will be an earth that replaces this one, and it will be a perfect one, a flawless one. There will be no sin, no sorrow, no sickness. Um, and the interesting thing is if that does happen, if that is how Tolkien perceived it to be or how he created it to be in his, uh, in his uh, mythology, then, the, then, this, then men dying and serving this purpose and then creating a new version of the world would in fact enable the elves to live even longer because, but they would be living in a perfect world. They wouldn't be living in, in Arda Mard. Um, right. And that's, and that's the, big. A third thing and a greater, and yet the same. That, where did that line come from? Because you're absolutely right. That's like uh, Art of Mar. That's the very end of the Silmarillion, isn't it? That's uh, this. Actually, I'm looking at uh, Morgoth's Ring, page three eighteen. This mm. is uh, is this Finrod speaking or Andreth? This is Finrod. Sounds like Finrod, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and I think this is, is where he's talking about the you know the the he goes on it goes on quite at length, but you know sure. he goes on to the the vision of Arda remade. Yes. Um, and the idea that uh, the Eldar completed but not ended could abide in the present forever and their walk maybe with the children of men, their mm -hmm. deliverers, and sing to them such songs as even in the bliss beyond bliss should make the green valleys ring and the mm -hmm. everlasting mountaintops to throb like harps. Throb like harps. Wow. That was on page 319. Yeah, I so, see that. Um, yeah, that notion of, of men actually being able kind of being the saviors of, the of saviors elves. of the eldar it's 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 almost it's not just a gift to men it's a gift the to gift, all the gift the to men would serve to be yeah yeah well and that makes sense men. because that's the kind of thing that Iluvatar does right i mean everything mm -hmm. has more than one purpose uh it seems and even the bad things um in this case death isn't a bad thing but people view it that way um still end up having a good purpose so mm-hmm Oh, goodness. There's so much more here. And I, I'm not sure. I mean, we could probably keep going for another, at least another half hour, but I'm not sure that we should. Um, I, I think we've, you know, I, there's, I think we've, uh, we've tried to answer the question. I think we have. I think, <laughs> I think I, I'm seriously, if, if every one of our, our listeners expects us to do an hour and a half long special on their question, <laughs> uh, let's just, let's just put that to rest right now. Um, I, I will. I, I want to kind of go back to what happens with Akalabeth um, mm. after they've after they've done this, because again, when you do something against your nature, bad things happen. Um, they get there in this huge, massive fleet, and he wavered at the end, and almost he turned back. Mm -hmm. His heart misgave him when he looked upon the soundless shores and saw Tiniquitel shining whiter than snow, 
colder than death, silent, immutable, terrible as the shadow of the light of Iluvatar. But pride was now his master, and at last he left his ship and strode upon the shore, claiming the land for his own if none should do battle for it. And a host of the Numenorians encamped in might about Tuna, whence all the Eldar had fled. But now we're done. Manway's like, you know what? Is this it? Manway upon the mountain called upon Iluvatar, and for that time the Valar laid down their government of Arda. But Iluvatar showed forth his power, and he changed the fashion of the world. And a great chasm opened in the sea between Numenor and the Deathless Lands, and the waters flowed down into it, and the noise and smoke of the cataracts went up to heaven, and the world were shaken. And all the fleets of the Numenorians were drawn down into the abyss, and they were drowned and swallowed up forever. But Arpherazon the king, and the mortal warriors that had set foot upon the land of Amon, were buried under falling hills. There it is said that they lie imprisoned in the caves of the Forgotten until the last battle and the day of doom. <laughs> Not a pleasant fate no. for Arpherazon. They have to wait there until the end of the world. They don't get to go beyond the circles of the world. You know, you want eternal life? You've got it. You're going to get eternal life in Arda, be imprisoned careful. in a cave. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. That That is, a, well, that is like, I mean, that's a Dante-esque punishment. Isn't it? You know, like, it is. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. It, it, it is just mm-hmm. twisted, um, mm-hmm. but in a, wow. in a very just way. Well, absolutely. Um, yeah. So... Wow. And you, you see, I mean, just, well, uh, that has repercussions not only for the Numenorians, but the entire Earth. Oh, yeah. The shape of the Earth has changed, yep. literally changed. We go from a flat Earth to a spherical Earth at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My goodness. Man. Well, we could. So there go you on. go. Yeah. Death is a gift. <laughs> death, death is a gift. It's a gift. We get to get out of here. It's a great thing. And we are going to get out of here. How's that for a segue? Ooh, this nice wraps it up for this episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to come back in two weeks for chapter three of the Silmarillion of the coming of the elves and the captivity of Melkor. Well, that'll be fun. Um, and it should be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> As always, uh, if you need to make any promises, no, that's true. We, you know, we keep saying it's going to be shorter and then it's not. I mean, really, um, like before, if you need cheap paperbacks to mark up, please use the links on our library page uh, at prancingponypodcast.com. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes and we're also on Google Play Music now. They've launched, yeah, they've launched podcast support for Android. Uh, you can also subscribe through whatever your favorite podcast app is. And we have tutorials on the website that show you yes, how. Yes. Thank you, Sean, for creating those. Oh, Kudos. my pleasure. The, the things I do when we when we don't have a recording in a week. Um, <laughs> iTunes users, we'd really appreciate it if you take a moment to write a review. Yes. We still only have a handful. I think you three or four, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we really appreciate it. That just helps us and, you know. Yeah. Helps us get out there more, and, and we want we want more listeners. Questions. We do. We more want more listeners, listeners. not because we're prideful like Morgoth, but because, <laughs> but because we like we, we like you guys. Good questions. We want we, more yeah. good questions like this. And eventually, you know, I don't even know that I've told Sean this, but one of these days, I'm going to try to figure out how to make a how to see if a conference call would work on Skype, mm. so that we can actually have a caller phone in. Wouldn't that, that would be, be cool. cool? That would be cool. So if you want to do that, you got to get us more listeners. So, right. you know, tweet, tw- tw- Twitter, whatever it's called. I don't know what tweet. the verb is. Tweet, tweet. us. <laughs> Face us. Because I'm old. 
the, the Facebooks and the Twitters. Okay, and and yeah. those you know, Facebooks at the Prancing Pony Podcast, <laughs> and our Twitter is what at Prancing Pony Pod. That's right. All right. Well, one last thing. Don't forget to send your questions, comments, or your recipe for home-brewed Miravore to the Prancing Pony Podcast at gmail.com. Well, an hour and a half is still far too short a time to spend amongst such admirable listeners, but until next time. Farewell, friends. <laughs> <laughs>